on this episode of Surf Splendor. How to survive a hostile corporate takeover. It was like our boss came over from Florida, this like skier, water skier, who was you a know, nice enough guy, um, came in one morning and just said, all right, we've been bought by Grind Media, see you later. This is North Garrett, our new, your new boss. And we're no like, way. oh shit. And so I immediately go, you know, any questions, I'm like, hey, how fucked are we? And what to do when your friends think that you are a Twitter troll. And then he kind of like starts going after other people and like Chloe and Dino, a long time ago, they come and he's like, dude, what the fuck? And I go, what? He's like, what are you saying this? And I go, I don't like, I go, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and that was the first time I saw this other guy and I'm like, that's not me. That's Chris Cote on this episode of Surf Splendor. Subscribe on iTunes and at surfsplendorpodcast.com. Welcome to your first ever episode of Surf Splendor. I am but your humble purveyor of Surf Splendor. My name is David Scales. Um, you know, I'm glad that you found us. I'm. You might be wondering what Surf Splendor is all about. And real simply, it's just conversations or stories about surfing. So it's podcast format. Episodes will run anywhere from 20 minutes to one hour in length. We update on Mondays, probably every other Monday, Monday is what I have planned. Um, we already have future episodes already in the can. We've got a surf photography episode with Aaron Chang and Morgan Masson. We have a Shaper series that we're doing. Um, the first of those episodes is with Eric Arakawa. We've got one with Tom Parrish. We've got one with Bob Pearson from Aero Surfboards up in Santa Cruz. And actually a whole bunch more. So... Um, we had five episodes actually already set for scheduled out for delivery to launch Surf Splendor. And then I did an interview with Chris Cote and decided to bump the first five and put this interview with Chris first, just because of its timeliness in reference to um, what has transpired with Transworld Surf. So this conversation I'm going to let run from beginning to end without any edits. Um, you probably know who Chris Cote is. He was the editor-in-chief of the now-defunct Transworld Surf magazine. Um, and he's done other things as well, and we discuss that. We actually we discuss a lot. We discuss his rise from just being a surf stoner in San, San Diego to becoming the editor-in-chief of one of the major pu- surf publications, we discuss how to win Kelly Slater's musical approval, and uh, we discuss reading on the toilet, you know, and everything in between. So, to give you an idea of the timeline, we filmed, we recorded this interview the day before the U.S. Open began, which he was commentating that week, and it was about three weeks after he heard about losing his job with Transworld Surf. So that gives you an idea of kind of his his frame of mind and where he's coming from i'm not sure when you're listening to this but you know that helps you fit it into into the the timeline so at any rate enough of me talking enjoy the show i will check in with you at the end thanks like to say first of all i've been exposed to you your things that you've been creating kind of from when i first got into surfing maybe when i was young Mm -hmm. but my favorite thing of all time was your duet with kelly slater the doobie brothers cover nice yeah i'm glad glad you got that yeah that was a very particular um age generation that i think would get that i would say so (laughs) but um i didn't realize kelly had such a beautiful voice yeah you know i mean I think I, I I guess he was in the that band, so it yeah. makes sense. Surfers, but well, it's funny because Kelly like uh, Kelly Slater kind of has a way of ignoring me. Okay. A lot of times, um, and that's fine. Like sure, but it was funny on Tavarua. We were on Tavarua together for the contest, and you know we've been I've known him for fifteen years or whatever, sure. and so every night I started to like DJ the dinner. Sure. You know dinner service or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And so I think the third or fourth night, you know, he, he's not being a dick. He's just like super busy and stuff. So yeah, focus. Why should he pay attention to me? But I put my soundtrack on. It was Yacht Rock, you know, all like Steely Dan and yeah. Brothers. And, and of course, from across the room, as the songs kind of started, he looks over and he's just like thumbs up. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of. It's like his style. That, he's like, yes, you know, and he knew right away that, that was, I'm, I was kind of like probably the only, you know, person that would turn yeah. off everybody's like hip hop and stuff and put on good music. Doobie Brothers. Yeah. Right. Which I had forgotten about that song, but it's like, it's a great song. Oh, yeah. Like the first minute particularly I'm fond of. From that point on, it gets redundant. But right. It was a good duet, nevertheless. Yeah, I'm always happy to, to sing with, with people. Fair enough. Good. Um, so... Honestly, my first exposure was through Tear Devils, I think. Yeah. Like, back in the day, there was a couple of those, I think. Yeah, I would say Tear Devils was maybe 92 Okay. through 96. Yeah. Um, right around that time, 92, I 96. I didn't have it, but I think a friend of mine did, and we'd swap out videos. And right. It was like, I watched it once or twice. Remember you doing like a chop hop or two or something? Yeah, that was, or two? that was when chop hops were, it was. were really fun, and, and I still do them. I still love chop hops. Sweet. I celebrate them. Sweet. Yeah. I don't think I've ever successfully done it. Like it became cool and I tried and then it went away. So I stopped trying, yeah. you know? So, um, but any, at any rate, when I was like, I don't need this interview to be about trans world surf necessarily. I'm yeah. more interested in story and like, that's part of the story. Definitely. But, um, as that has fallen out, like I've been reading the interviews and I think yesterday the stab one, mm -hmm. one thing that I was interested in that you wrote or that you commented on was like, they asked what did, what was your favorite part of the magazine or what did it give to you or something along those lines. And your response was like, dude, I was a stoner kid yeah. who became an editor in, editor in chief of a magazine. Um, from the Terror Devils days, the stoner kid until that trans world surf opportunity came about. Like, tell me about Chris Cote at that point and what was that transition like how did that opportunity even come about yeah it's the story well i guess long story short yeah um after high school you know i was kind of sponsored surfing whatever and i started uh traveling competing and doing all that i, I never drank or did anything till i was 21 okay so i never really i was i was obviously at parties and, and all that yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. so i so i knew all about it but i never really got into it and so as I started to realize that I wasn't going to be a pro surfer, you know, I did good in contests when the waves were like two foot. Sure. But, you know, there, there comes a certain level where I was like, okay, I need to do something else. So it was more, you know, my, my personality and kind of my sense of humor got me further than my talent. So people, you know, Surfer Magazine approached me to write an article and I, I did some writing for some small magazines. And then, you know, all my sponsors, all the guys at the companies really liked me, and so it kind of that cliche team writer goes into the marketing department kind right, of thing. Right. And so I started doing, you know, team managing for like Billabong and then Hurley and and Arnett, Reef, you know, every company that I was sponsored by at the time. Simultaneously, or like bounced from one to the next. Kind of bounced back and you know okay. bounced around and and working, you know. I'm a loyal person, so I worked at a lot of companies. And, and back then, I was kind of just trying to figure it out. Yeah. What I wanted to do. My ride later. Nice. Um, yeah, so after I kind of was doing marketing and stuff, I kind of got a little burnt out on the whole the whole deal. Okay. So I was still surfing and everything. And then, you know, I, I, I went on the road and I became a roadie. I was a, a drum tech for Blink-182 okay. for a couple years and did some tour managing for bands and stuff, just as a little change, and that was cool. But when I came back, I kind of found myself in a position of, you know, no full-time job. I was still surfing a ton, but then I started, I, I found weed. And through that roadie position, <laughs> well, perhaps? No, no, just kind of, I turned 21, then I started drinking, and I was like, wow, this is really fun. Right. And so I guess I was trying to make up for lost time. So there was probably a period of about two years or so where, I was, I was working at a surf shop next door, actually. I was working at a surf shop, and I was just stoner, you know? Yeah. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't sad. I was having a great time. Right, but maybe know? just wayward kind of like. Yeah, kind of like, all right, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And, right. and people were still approaching me to, to do surf stuff, yeah. to work in the industry. And then, you know, I, I was still doing writing at the time for 
you know some magazines but through you know through relationships and kind of you know my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife was kind of giving me that ultimatum like look I know you're having fun but you're becoming a loser yeah. <laughs> so get your shit together if you want to still date me and so I was like okay you know she she kind of laid the ground rules it sounds funny but she was like you know, I, I don't date guys who don't have a car or a job yeah. or who live with their mom. You know, I lived in like a studio behind my mom. Sure. And it was like, like I said, super fun. But, yeah, you know, yeah. when you reach your mid-20s, you're like, okay, I probably got to get my shit together. Yeah. And so I kind of started just going on down that checklist, got a car, moved out of my mom's place and was, you know, kind of starting to actively go out there and look for a new job. And that was uh, about the time that, this is 1999, Transworld Surf was just uh, getting, uh, you know, it was it was in development. It was Steve Zeldin and uh, Preston Murray, Liam Ferguson. And Steve Zeldin came, you know, came to me and uh, one of my friends, Blair Marlin. He actually came to Blair, Blair came to me, and he's like, you guys want to start a magazine? And of course, we were, hell yeah, let's yeah. do it. And so it started then with us as Blair and I as kind of like the, the focus group for it. Sure. Um, you know, what do we want this magazine to be about? What do we want the tone to be? And, you know, our, our tone at the time was just fun. You know, yeah. who gives a shit? Let's have fun. It's not about training or contests or, or whatever. It's about just surfing with your friends and fucking around and having fun. And so, you know, that was a niche that was definitely being neglected by surf media sure. at the time. Yeah. So, you know, when we started Transworld, we started going to the office, you know, and that was my that was my answer to my girlfriend at the time. To stability. I have a job, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, it started off like it was it was just us in this office and we were kind of like the new little shits on the block. Yeah. You know, Transworld had been, you know, obviously a very a huge part of action sports media for you know 20 years even before we started right so it was you know as a, as a lifelong skateboarder to be under that transworld banner was already a huge honor in itself so we you know we definitely had that pressure to make a really good product right but at the same time you know we we're young and we're just like this is our magazine this is our shit let's make this thing as fun as we possibly can. It's crazy that they would give that much creative license to people who didn't have the track record. Exactly. You know, you know my and it's my whole thing was, you know, in I, I went to very minimal college. Yeah. Um, so my you know my my work ethic is uh, is basically driven by passion. Yeah. Not by training, and so you know I I knew how I wanted to showcase surfing and surfing lifestyle to people and in the fact that the the people at Transworld at the time you know Steve Zeldin you know Sean Hayes was the first editor and the fact that they kind of gave us carte blanche to, to do they're like okay you guys you are living this right now so you tell us what you want to do you know so we you know we picked the people we had profile we you know we we started cursing in the magazine which mm -hmm. was fun yeah just do it you know like kid shit right and, and I think it came through and I think that's what made us stand out from the very beginning because people thought that Transworld was crazy for starting a surf magazine yeah you know we already have surfer and surfing we don't need anything else and so we're like all right well fuck you we're starting anyway mm -hmm. and so you know we did and it was pretty much I would say it was an instant hit you know in the industry it was you know it was always a battle advertising wise and yeah. You know, we did a lot of things to get us kicked out of libraries and off newsstands and piss off advertisers. Right. I think it was probably halfway through the first year, something that I wrote in the magazine pissed off the people at DeKine so bad that they have not advertised since. Really? And it, it, it's been, I think, eight, eight years or something. They still just hate me. Do you remember what you wrote? Yeah, it was something about... I got called into a meeting with the editors, and and it was this guy from DeKine, and he was like, he goes, can I read this to you? And I was, sure. And he read it to me, and it was something that I had written about a guy in jail swallowing safety pins and paper clips and then shitting it out and then sifting through his shit to find it and breaking out of jail. And he was like, do you surf? 
And I go, yes, of course I surf. And he goes, well, what does this have to do with surfing? And I'm like, oh, it's funny. Yeah. And the dude is just super insulting to me. And I was like, you know what? Like, I don't care what you, you know, whatever. Sure, yeah. And so from then on, Dakine never advertised. That's interesting. I thought it was going to be something defaming Dakine or no. Hawaiian surfing or something like that. No. Know? That's weird. Yeah. And I, I think they, their products are great. I use them sure. a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, it was funny because that was like the one meeting where I truly felt that Transworld had my back because they're like, all right, see you later. That's you know, point. you don't want to advertise? Well, this is our guy. We're not going to like, I, I didn't get in trouble for it. Yeah. You know? It's yeah, like, yeah. that's why they hired me because they wanted me to talk about sifting through poo. <laughs> it's funny though that you would start that out by saying that um, you guys sat around originally and tried to design a tone for the magazine because it seems like the tone was by default almost. Right. Like, hey, we're kids who don't have an education, so we're just doing this because this is our way of doing it. Yeah. Rather than almost being by design, essentially, you know, or thoughtful. Yeah, well, you know, like Steve Zeldin is, he's just, he's this rad, crazy kid, you know, he's, He's like a permanent Grom. Right. You know, and he came up through that 80s period of, you know, Newport Beach, just excess, partying and fun. And, you know, he he already had that kind of rock and roll tone. So him being the leader and then bringing us in, like myself and Blair Marlin, who kind of just grew up, you know, here in San Diego and basically went to school on the beach rather than in a classroom. Yeah. So it was kind of like that that was our education and and the fact that we you know we we kind of knew we knew all the surfers. Yeah. And we knew who we thought was rad. You know, there's a lot of people that were just like we don't really care. Yeah. And then there was other people that we totally were like idolized. So it was just a great mesh and I think everybody was on the same page as to what we wanted the magazine to be like from the very beginning. You know, and we've definitely waned here and there throughout the years, but it's always been, Transworld's always been known as, you know, a party. It's fun. I was going to say, I remember, I've subscribed since the beginning, um, and I remember it going through different times, like maybe in the last year or two, like the cover design and the art layout changed pretty drastically, right. you know? But it always still had that same tone. Mm -hmm. I feel like it, it became more refined in the way that it... Um, delivered information probably more efficient a little bit more refined i felt like at times it might have been over like from a graphic design standpoint right, right. over designed or over edited or whatever and then it kind of found its rhythm and was just really clean and neat but still playful and fun so it, it maintained that party feel all along through those changes yeah. you know no i mean it was a conscious thing when we first started we wanted to be bright and just crazy you know brash yeah. was a word that often was used to describe us. And then we kind of, uh, when Joel Patterson became the editor-in-chief, the, the tone definitely went, um, you know, a little bit more to a, a soulful approach, but still humorous and, mm -hmm. you know, overall it was probably more of an all-inclusive title at that time, you know, with like Thomas Campbell kind of editorials and, you know, we tried to open it up more where as we started it was just like, Shortboards, airs, right. and that's it. And then it was kind of like, okay, well, we need to broaden this. So with, when Joel accomplished a lot in that, like going, okay, well, you can still do airs on a shortboard, but you can also, you know, ride this board or shape your own board. Mm. And so we kind of implemented that into the editorial. And then when, when Joel was gone and I was put in charge, it was like I wanted to keep some of the Joel Patterson kind of ethos in the magazine, but, you know, also inc incrementally kind of raise the fun bar a little bit, I yeah, guess, you yeah, know, yeah. And, and keep the keep the youthful tone to it. And so as we kind of transitioned through there, we got a, a new art director, you know, Mark Hostetter, the previous art director, was there for nine years, I would say. Okay. And so it was cool because what the look and everything that he had set up was completely different than Surfer and Surfing Magazine. Right. And as we started to kind of hit our stride they started to just copy it oh really yeah which which is flattering for sure you know all the inside design everything you just see it and you go like you know this right. is so obvious but then as you know as everything kind of came to a, a, a head and you look at the newsstand and all three magazines look so similar we're like okay we need to do something and that's where when Sam Allen became the art director 
and he just flipped the game completely. And the redesign that we did was very, you know, it was obviously very drastic. And to me, it the magazine has never looked better than it has in the last yeah. probably two, you know, two two years I'd say since our redesign. And and it's crazy because when we did it, and even to this day, our last issue, everyone just loves the design and how clean everything is. So it is again, it was just like we were hitting our stride and then the rug got pulled out from under us. So, you, you, I mean, obviously you can see what us doing a redesign did for all media in the surf world. Mm -hmm. Everybody cleaned up, everybody, you know, it's like, it kind of, the same thing happened. Yeah, interesting. I, I like it a lot, the redesign for sure. I'm on that same, in that same group that liked it. Um, I guess that brings us kind of to that rug being pulled out. Can you explain how, I mean, yeah, it doesn't need to be a two hour story, but how did that come about? Well, I would say about, you know, for, for the last eight or nine months, I was uh, basically in the position of editor at large. Yeah. We didn't want to say that because that's kind of like a retirement home for magazine editors. But I was, you know, I was still obviously very involved and writing more than ever and spending probably two, maybe two to three days a week in the office and then the rest of the days out on the road and kind of doing other things. So kind of leaving 75% of it in the hands of, of the staff, Casey Coteen and Xander and uh, Aaron Checkwood, our photo editor, and Sam Allen, of course, and watching kind of leaving a blueprint but not being so over involved to where everything was still like the Chris Cote show at Transworld. Right, right. And so I'd say for the last eight months it was kind of like on autopilot in a way. You know, okay. I would obviously put insight into everything and articles and everything so it wasn't my way of it, uh, getting out but it was definitely kind of like half in half out and so it was, it was awesome to be able to kind of see that transition going so smoothly but then when grind media bought us it was like oh shit you know now yeah parent bosses. company owns all three and how it was presented to us was just very sudden it was it was like our boss came over from florida this like skier water skier who was you know nice enough guy always you know had our back for the most part the the people from bonnier um, came in one morning and just said, "All right, we've been bought by Grind Media. See you later." This is Norb Garrett, our new your new boss, and we're no like, way. "Oh shit!" And so I immediately go, "You know, any questions?" I'm like, "Hey, how fucked are we?" The Surf Magazine, and you know, the the new bosses were like, "Look, we're we don't know. Okay. We bought every, you know, we're fair enough. Yeah, we just bought this, and and they were very straightforward. Like, we don't know yet. So they did an analysis, and it was probably." I think it's been like three months or something and you know I think the the tone was never like sour towards us mm -hmm. you know, but obviously they own the existing two grandfather brands that have been in there and I don't I don't mean that detrimentally just the you know the two magazines that have been around for the longest yeah so it was like for us to have been the only real real thorn in their side as far as advertising sales and Got it. market share, you know, I, I kind of equated to like if you can't beat them, buy them. Right. And you know that that's their business decision, and that's, I guess that's what happened. It was, you know, less of a sentimentality for them. You know, I'm sure if Transworld had bought Source Interlink or what, you know, whatever, it would be like, well, yeah, of course we're keeping Transworld Surf. We got to decide which one of theirs shut down. Right. But, it, you know, I think it, it just came in terms of financially. Okay. So can you explain real quick who is Grind Media? Well, Grind Media is a source interlink company, and they own surfers, surfing, kayaking, sup, sup magazine, uh, you know, a bunch of magazines. It's basically just like Transworld Media, but a different competing media company. Are they invested primarily in print? Um, well, it's print, and then Grind.TV is a, a Yahoo. I don't want to say subsidiary. A partner with Yahoo, so it's a pretty big footprint in the you know the action sports lifestyle internet landscape, I guess you'd right, say. Right. So it you know Grind.TV is pretty huge in in mainstream 
Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, they have all the vertical magazines, surfer, surfing, kayak, all that. They have their own websites that do very well already. Sure. So, you know, it's it's basically, you know, like, was our main competition. Correct. All of Transworld and Grind.tv was competition. So, um, word came down then that they were going to be ceasing publication, or printing anyways, and what does that do to the Transworld Surf brand? I mean, does the brand still exist, or is it all gone, or is it just print that's not being... Uh, how, how it was kind of laid out to us, um, you know, and again, to, to, to their credit, they, they came, they called a meeting, we all showed up at work, and they go, okay, look, you know, we, we've done this research, and it's not economically feasible to continue with Transworld Media, or Transworld Surf as a print property, and so, you know, we all were like, oh shit, started drinking beers at nine in the morning after that announcement. Yeah. Just to kind of like. Should have just done it in the meeting. Right. <laughs> yeah. Not? I mean. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, it was, it was no bullshit. It was like, hey, this is it. It wasn't like a stringing us along. And so then they had meetings with everybody on the staff separately. And, you know, people were either told, you know, here's your severance package or, hey, we, you know, we think that there might be some, something for you at Grind. So it was, you know, the way it was presented, yeah, some really good people lost their jobs. But I think with any, you know, any purchase of a company at that size is going to happen yeah and it was it was quick you know so they basically said just finish this last issue so we had about two weeks a week and a half to finish the last issue ever yeah which in a way was kind of a relief just because you're like all right everybody you know now that we know this is done let's just finish this thing but we also want to like go out with a bang yeah you know, so so we we changed a couple of things, but it, it, it's not like a big retrospective, like I'm right. sure we'd have liked to have done. Right. But you know, it's just kind of it as a as a brand. Trans World obviously will be around, I, I think, forever. But Trans World Surf will, you know, just kind of be remembered. I'm sure as a, that rad magazine so website. So there isn't going to be an ongoing website necessarily. Uh, I don't really know yet. Okay. The website right now is going, you know, supposedly until September. Okay. And then, you know, maybe they'll they'll look at it again and, and see if they want to keep it or not. Okay. Interesting. Um... When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Do you identify, I mean, with your writing experience and then having that position at the magazine, do you identify as a journalist at all? Or do you have any interest in continuing in that career path? Or, um, I mean... The, the career path that I've been on probably for the past year is kind of more, or you know, the, the last 
five or ten years since working with Fuel TV and you know hosting some of their programs, you know writing for television and producing a lot of the, the content online already, my own stuff and stuff for other people. For the past eight eight or nine months, I've been really kind of diving into production, working with some creative agencies and kind of putting my feelers out there as to something else that I would want to do. But as far as being a magazine editor again, I don't, you know, I don't think I'd want to do that because I've already done it for 15 years. So it's for kind sure. of like, you know, and out, you know, I, the, all the all the magazines that are existing now have their people in place and they're all doing well. So I would never want to even like right. come, you know, it's like I, I couldn't come and be the new editor <laughs> surfer magazine. No, but, but from a journalistic standpoint, like there's work to be done, I feel. And I also feel like you said trans world surf filled a uh, void right. in the in the surf publication market back when it started. I think it was one of your columns. You mentioned that you like that Vice show on right. HBO, right? And I've paid attention to Vice for a long time now. And it's like they're doing something unique. And there mm-hmm. could be something like that in surfing where there's a lot of things that like just don't get talked about. And a lot of it's gossip. To me, what excites me most is telling different stories. Right. You know, and yeah it is fun to go outside of surfing and do some other things but at the same time it's like i've i've realized over the past decades that the the grass is not greener yeah in the real world for surfing sure is, it isn't surfing is my home you know I, I i do work for i do work in kind of other areas skating and stuff like that but surfing is kind of really where i feel like i'm needed and i think my area of expertise is is Maybe humanizing yeah. some, some some of these guys. Totally. You know, like the Kelly Slater interview that, that we were talking about after he won on Tavarua, a lot of people kind of were like, wow, you kind of made Kelly Slater seem human. Yeah. And we, we don't see that that often. And I think that's, to me, what's lacking in, in the surf media landscape right now. Yeah. Is those stories, the, the real stories, and, and having fun with these guys while... Saying, you know, whoa. I think the stories that need to be told are less about equipment and training For and sure. how to surf better and more making, you know, making characters out of the world's best because they're, they're in there. Yeah. You know, I think how they're portrayed a lot now is just from the time they put their jersey on to the time they take it off. You know, and uh, there's companies out there doing doing really good. You know, like What Youth and uh, Monster Children, Stab, and you know, a lot of kind of the the smaller, more nimble brands are able to dive a little bit more. I think into these characters of surfing, they do new heroes. Like I agree with what you're saying, and the equipment stuff. It's like that's still relevant, and that will still be published, and that's great. But even with the publications you just named, I still feel like they're all pretty soft pieces. Right. You know, like there isn't a lot of journalism taking place. It's just like, hey man, what kind of music do you like? And Mm -hmm. whatever. And and that's cool. And I'm a fan of all those things as well. But I still feel like there's a gap that could be filled where it's like, you know, like Andy Iron's death or Mm -hmm. Chadwell's getting fired from Quicksilver this past week. And like those things, um, I don't feel like the truth really gets right. gets told. Like, the mainstream publications maybe comment on it in a real PC way, and then the internet trolls go the opposite direction and give yeah, these super the sensationalist yeah. thing. But there's not a lot of like, where's who's interviewing Chad? You know, mm-hmm. like there's. It's um, funny. I, I talked to Chad Wells yesterday about that exact thing. It's like nobody called him to ask him right what his side of the story was, and it's you know, it, there, there's so many sensitive topics you know in, in something like surfing you know in the, in the basketball in professional basketball or, or baseball foot whatever it's like real journalists go and they just if something happens they dive in and really they can you know they have they have kind of carte blanche to write and do whatever they want because a professional football player is probably so much more unreachable and uh, you know like 
if I sit here and I write something about like Peyton Manning or whatever, I'm never gonna see Peyton Manning. True. There's a really fine line between, you know, negative and positive stories. I love to read and 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 dive into, I guess, dramatic or controversial stories. Um, you know, and and I'm a, I'm a huge fan of investigative journalism, 60 Minutes. Um, you know, but for me, it's like. The journalism that I would want to do is more positive. Sure. You know, it, it's not sensationalist. Right. Like. You know, like, it, it's hard because, you know, I, I've been accused forever of being, like, too soft on pros and uh, okay. trying to be their bro and all that. And that's, like, that's fine, you know. But at the same time, it's like, these dudes are friends for the most part, which works for and against me, for sure. Because... You know, I, I was good friends with Andy Irons, and, you know, when when all that happened, it's like, people would ask me, go like, so, you know, what what was this problem? What is it? And I'm just like, you know, yeah, it, it, it is your business because he was a celebrity, but at the same time, it's like, he was a friend, so it kind of made it like, you know, you, you do, you find your information somewhere else, mm -hmm. you know, and look, if, if, if I was, uh, if I could be accused of going like, well, you didn't say anything, so maybe another kid will get into drugs, or you know, you could have helped him or whatever. It's like, you know, that that sensitive of an issue when it is a friend and also like a a subject of you know my work or whatever. It just it's it's really difficult because which line do you cross? Do you cross a friendship line for your career? Or, you know, that's why I don't, I mean, I want to, I want to keep surfing as fun and informative as possible, and I, and I want to keep it positive, but I know that it's not always like that, you know, it's not always no. roses, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, my, I, I, I love the, the stories of perseverance or coming back from something sure. shitty, you know, like, I love a happy ending. Yeah. And so a lot of the things like, you know, that, that I see lately, like the, the whole, like this, the feminism uprising right now is awesome, you know? Yeah. The, the gay and lesbian movement to me is, you know, it's close to home and I'm 1000% supportive of it, but it's like, I'm not going to write or produce something that's attack, attacking someone else. It's like, if I can support, right. yeah, if I totally. can support feminism by just being a supporter, you know, I'm not going to like. I'm not going to attack somebody with negativity. Totally. You can't fight negativity with negativity. Right. And I feel like a lot of the times it's, it just, you know, especially with Twitter and just with the internet, everyone has a soapbox and I feel like every, a lot of people just go after someone or something for attention. Totally. You know, and, and what? I don't know, it's what? easy to say shit when you don't have, you know, Dude. like. If I say if I say something, that's me saying it. Right. And you know you know you know me. You know yeah, where you yeah, can yeah. find whatever. But if I like make up a fake name and then I just start saying all this shit. Yeah. It's like I mean, I got, I was talking to Kelly Slater about this on on Tavaru. Like I go, how do you handle the shit that people say about you on Twitter and 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 because you know I get it too, not at the level that yeah, he does. Yeah, sure. And he's just like you know, yeah, it it bothers me, but he kind of realized. Like, he can't fight every single thing because that's no. exactly what they want. Right. So he just starts blocking them. Yeah. And, like, all that bumps him out so bad, but then they can't get to him. Um, and I was actually going to ask you about that, too. Like, I'm very minimally involved with Twitter. Like, I right. check it maybe once a week and just quick scroll through. But I have seen there's a parody account of you, I think, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Which, in a sense, is flattering. Means Definitely. you arrived, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's the funny thing. It's I always tell people they go, "How do you handle when people say this this noxious, rude, mean shit about you online?" And I'm like, "Well, in my line of work and what you know, what I've the path that I've chosen, it's like as long as they're talking, you know, that's, when they stop talking, it that's really, when I'm like, oh shit, what am I doing wrong?'" It kind of validates surfing's growing and getting bigger, right. and your position in it, and um, and to be perfectly honest, they're clever. Yeah. You know, it's like the the not Dane Reynolds or whatever that is. Yeah. 
it's like, I love Ross Williams. And when he was commentating the Bali event, like that guy did freaking 20 tweets in a row about Ross Williams and I was cracking up, yeah. you know, but I'm a fan of the guy, but I'm still laughing about it. Yeah. Too. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the thing. It's like some of these guys are so good that they should if you come devote, out. If you devoted it towards something positive, yeah, you could do something. You yeah. Know? And so, you know, for me, it's like, there's probably three or four of them that, that are just like the dude that the fake me, whoever, right. like he's, it's kind of an asshole. Yeah. And, and like, I know he does it for attention or to like try to get my goat. Right. But then he kind of like starts going after other people and like Chloe and Dino, the long time ago, they call me, he's like, dude, what the fuck? And I go, what? He's like, what are you saying this? And I go, I don't like, I go, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and that was the first time I saw this other guy and I'm like, that's not me. Oh I'm my like, gosh. Yeah. So, so he associated that with you. Yeah. And that's crazy. Yeah. And it's, and it's like, that. that's kind of the only bummer is because I, I yeah. have very few negative things to say about anybody i try yeah. to just keep everything positive yeah yeah and so when you know when people feel like i'm i was attacking them I'm like well fuck that's not me yeah. and the fact is that that dude only has like 100 followers oh yeah. does he yeah, i didn't I even 9, check <laughs> that's funny I, I mean it sounds stupid but it's but like it, such a small community of haters that are so you know repetitive and so on it like i don't understand how these guys have so much time i don't either all day and you got to think that it's probably if there's eight accounts it's probably four guys right multiple yeah but but the you're right the amount that they put out quality content yeah. is kind of staggering like if all i had to do was come up with creative tweets all day i don't know that i could do it yeah you know? i mean and it's flattering this guy has been you know this crew have been attacking me and just making up funny shit about me for like five however long since twitter started and that's yeah. flattering to me totally thank you yeah you're keeping me relevant yeah so we good. just spent five minutes talking about them yeah so <laughs> um so kind of in a incidental point like the barrier of entry for print is so significant that there's not a lot of print surf publications obviously there's like 12 jobs out there right in print world. so I think that that also filters a lot of crap as well, you know, where yeah. it's like with the internet, you could post whatever you want, whenever you want. When it comes to surf videos, it's like you could film mm -hmm. on your iPhone and post it this afternoon and it's terrible quality. But I think that that also just, the digital revolution creates a lot of white noise, obviously. And yeah. even if you created something great, it gets lost in the noise, you know? And how do you know sometimes you, you won't find the good stuff. If if it had come along in the 80s, it would rise to the top because the quality right. is so good. So as you move forward with a focus on production and stuff like that, I mean, like I think What Youth has done a great job of playing both sides, the digital. Mm -hmm. They do a good job at releasing digital content. And the, the print publication, they really edit out all the crap and so it's just high quality writing high quality imagery high quality print uh like paper itself you know that you actually right. it has value and then it references the web so you actually want to see the web content as well and it's kind of a perfect uh synergy that they have going what do you what's the direction in the future you think for um you know i think that it's tough because there's there's niche publications that have a very, uh, I want to say easy, but um, you know they're they're completely directed at this one audience, and it's it's fairly simple to, to see your audience and go, okay, this is what they want. You know, I think like what youth is a, a great example of like their their audience gets exactly what they want. Right. You know, it's 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 not very inclusive to mainstream to the average surfer. Doesn't but they don't be. care yeah. because it, you know they're they do what they do super well if they can you know, sell a enough fan, units, yeah i'm a huge fan of it and i think there's a lot of companies out there like reef and quicksilver and hurley that see a lot of um you know they see a lot of potential and they and they see value with people like what youth who are early adapters you know like right the 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 coolest of the cool and you know there's a there's a place for that for sure but i think a mainstream like a mainstream surfer the average dude at the that i surfed with at seaside this morning you know i think he would see that and be like i don't get it of course you know I, and 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 that's great 
because he shouldn't get it. Right. You know, so I, I think the quality of magazines, you know, it, it's it's been pretty stagnant for a while, and I, I feel like Transworld was, was Transworld Surf was on the path to becoming a kind of perfect right in the middle of mainstream and super hip right you know and and that was our goal was to be that bridge i guess you'd say and and now with us gone it i feel like it's a pretty wide open media landscape and i think with you know stab is going to be making a huge push in america right you know what youth is, is still doing well and and monster children in america you know later magazines in canada these are all magazines that have you know, most of all, they have the time. If, if you're six issues a year or four issues a year, you can, you have the luxury of being very picky with what you put in the magazine, taking a lot of time on design and photography and really putting together a, a meaningful, lasting product. Whereas 12 a year, like we were, you know, yeah. not that it's, not that it's like rushed because, you know, we have the luxury of going, okay, this swell just hits Edie, boom, it's in the magazine. You know, so it's that fine line of news, which the web, all the websites were kind of getting, you know, like, yeah. uh, you, you can't beat somebody's Instagram, exactly. you know, and so it's kind of like, all right, well, there's, there's always going to be value in opening a magazine and seeing a, a photo on, on the page. Right. It, it uh, the computer will never, you know, be as good unless you have like a rollout cool screen or something, <laughs> you know feature yeah but there, there's something about opening a magazine or you know getting the cover a surfer will like did i get the cover you know yeah, photographer, yeah. did i get the cover it's like you can't do that online no you can't but i'll give you a real world example like i know people talk about um circulation and advertising sales and all that kind of stuff what it comes down to for the end user me who's getting these subscriptions is i used to perfectly honest most of the time spent reading the magazine was in the bathroom previously yeah, the shitter. of course nowadays i don't even bring the magazine in there with me i have my phone and that's when i'm checking instagram that's when i'm updating stuff and like so i have found I in switch the switch off yeah and do you well i found in the past year that switch off it used to be nine times out of ten the magazine one yeah. time out of ten the phone now it's pretty much 10 times out of 10 the phone and I find that the magazine sits there on the counter until the new issue shows up Yeah. and I'm like, oh crap, I got to catch up on the old issue and even then, it's a thumbing through. Right. It's not as much reading of the articles. So that's presented an issue for me and now I'm going to be confronted in the next year or two, do I renew my subscription or mm -hmm. not because I really haven't read these things. With What Youth, it's such a substantial printing that... I devote couch time to that. You know, it's right. almost like I'll turn the TV off and actually like go through this because first of all, I invested 15 bucks. Yeah. And second of all, they invested a lot here. So I, I don't know what the answer is to that dilemma for the magazines, you know? Well, I think it's like with, you know, with Transworld, with Surfer and Surfing and, and I have a totally skewed view of it coming from the yeah, of inside. Course. It's like, but that's why I'm asking. Yeah. I'll get, you know, I get the magazines and I'm like, oh, fuck, I don't like, I, I don't care. I'll, I'll look through it, and it's more of a thing like, oh fuck, they got that photo. I want sure. that photo, you know. And 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 if unless I was really interested in the article, and it's like, it it's it's sad because I've been getting free magazines for forever. Right. But when I go out and I buy the Surfer's Journal, or I buy, you know, I subscribe to Vanity Fair because I know that I have that little bit of time that I want to dedicate to reading that. Right. You know, whereas it, it feels like a monthly magazine of something I'm so close to that I'm constantly inundated with online on my phone. It's like, okay, enough's enough, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's probably, you know, I, I still look at every surf magazine that there is, but, you know, the, the whole toilet debate, it's like on your phone, when you're on the toilet, that's like, you, you know, especially like man time. You yeah. Know, you're, on, you're there and that's like the, the five minutes of your morning or whatever that you're like, okay, I can finish these games of words with friends, right. go back over to Instagram, see if there's anything cool there. I don't, I still don't ever read on my phone. Not yet. Not, I don't either really. You know, so it's kind of like Instagram, words with friends, you know, Twitter to see what asshole said something stupid about me today. Right. Um, 
you know, maybe I'll look at like uh, Facebook on there. I don't, I don't really watch videos, you know, or unless it's like pornography, <laughs> then that's like a whole different <laughs> story. But I just, to me, you know, kind of contradicts what what I've I've said about monthly magazines and everything, but. There's something sacred about time with a magazine. Sure. And I'm probably, you know, I'm 36, so I'm probably even of that generation where it's like, we're the last of the people that like get really, you yeah. know, know what it's like not to have a phone or internet. Right. You know, I remember being a kid and every month you just wanted that surfer magazine because, you know, in the end you see it was a thing called Winter Circle. And mm-hmm. show you, you know, who won the Gunston Pro. Martin Potter won. Oh, shit. Now it's like Tom Carroll and Martin Potter in the world title. So it was like, you had to wait. Yeah. And you had to, like, you know, just three months out of Now it's like, you're, everyone is just so blasted with information and constant content. Yeah. You know, it's like, you can't turn your phone on without getting an update. Like, dude. Exactly. John John just did the biggest error in history two minutes right. ago. And you're like, watch it. Cool. What's next? Exactly. But now what? It's less satisfying yeah. as well. Yeah, so it's kind of rad. I just went to, um, I went to a wedding on this ranch last weekend, and my phone didn't work. And at first, you know, it's it's kind of like you know when you have kids and, and a wife and stuff, you can, you want to be able to check in, but at the same time, I'm like, oh shit, I don't have to. You know, you feel obligated if you're doing something super fun like we were doing, like jumping off these things into the water and just having such a blast. In the past, you'd be obligated to shoot a photo of it, Instagram it. I know. You know, and the fact that nobody had phone service made it so rad because, you know, fuck, I am as guilty as anyone of, like, looking at my phone during cool cool things are happening and you're like, oh, I gotta, I gotta let everyone know. And, you know, it's a vanity thing. I'm, I'm super into it. Like, I, I'm, like, spreading the message of myself, which sounds totally fucked, but... But it is. I feel the same exact way. And once you are snapping photos or trying to be a voyeur of the situation... You're not in it. You're not in the situation. Yeah. And so that that is a challenge. I think that'll all hash itself out as mm-hmm. we become bored with the technology or just used to it or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's It presents a lot of challenges, obviously, for traditional publications and all that sort of thing. Yeah. For sure. I used to think forever print would never die. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh shit. You know, and not just because of Transworld, just like, huh. Yeah. You know, is it, it's, maybe it's just me because I find it really hard to read on the computer or on my iPad. I just, I like to hold something, a book or magazine. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's all a matter of how the revenue models change, I guess, that'll yeah. dictate what's what. Well, that's the thing, too. It's like, a magazine like Vanity Fair, it's, it's like my favorite magazine. You go in there, and there's these 4,000-word stories, you know, minimal photos or whatever. So you, you, you get into a story. With Surf Magazine or Skate Magazine, it's full-spread photos. And we're all so accustomed to just checking it out, you know, turning the page. It takes 15 seconds to look through a surf magazine. Right. You know, uh, you know, unless it's the Surfer's Journal or the in, there's an article really in particular that you're like very excited to read. Right. If you're interested in the person or the topic, but you know, you you take a magazine like Interview Magazine or Vanity Fair that, probably not Interview Magazine, but you know, a magazine that's pretty much dedicated to these stories, you know, that are in depth and. To me, it's like I'll start a story in Vanity Fair, and it'll take four shits to finish it. Right. Four totally sessions, and it's like cool, you know. So yeah, you yeah. kind of invest a little bit more time. It seems though that their magazine has a lot more percentage of the pages devoted towards advertising, right? I think so, you know. And there's a lot more pages that are just full of text. Yeah. I think for 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 surfers, there's it's hard to write a. Four thousand. I know. Thing on like. I think Tom Curran. Or, but maybe you know, we undersell the reader too, and think that they're not going to want to devote that much time right. to reading. And maybe. I don't know. We haven't invested in the writers enough either. You know. Yeah. No. I, I think there, there's definitely some pieces where I'm like I, I take the time to sit down and read them. Right. And I, I think I've been surrounded and involved with surfing for so long that it it it, it would take kind of something special to really. I feel interest. the same way too. You know, I was just in the water this morning surfing, and uh, my my 
Paul Roach's name came up. He's legendary body body butter yeah. from around here, and you know, I'm like a huge. I've known him forever. I'm a huge fan, and so my friend said, "Oh, he's got an article in the New Surfer's Journal," and I was like, "Okay, Sweet. when I go in, I'm going to find that and buy it." Right. You know? And it's very rare for someone to be like, "Dude, did you read that thing about so and so?" Right. You know, in our in our new issue, and it's funny because it's it's the, the last issue. Sander Morton wrote this wrote this really great story about Creed McTaggart, who I thought was just like this kid from Oz who like smoked cigs and air reverses. Yeah, but it was this it was the article that he wrote showed a complete different side of him, you know. And I read it and I was like, I'm so stoked that this is in Transworld, mm. you know. And it's it's one of those things where I guess an un seemingly uninteresting topic was made interesting by a good story right you know like yeah that's it's cool he can do 360 airs but what else like, right everyone can do 360 airs yeah yeah there aren't a lot of new angles that are trying to be written you know it's it it is kind of the same formula over and over of a profile piece a trip piece yeah you know and well and i love i've loved so far um the the books that i've read about surfers you know especially the Aki book was like the best shit ever I mean if, if, if I'm a huge Aki fan anyway so right. reading that was just like you know amazing and I and I could have read four times as much as was written but then a book about like Mick Fanning comes out and I love Mick he's like a friend he's awesome but he hasn't really lived a life that sure. makes me you know uh, you know he's had struggles and 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 a rad story but it's like that's Aki Right. You know, I wouldn't read a book right now about like Dane Reynolds right. or Chloe and Dino. I love their surfing and their rag eyes, but yeah, it's like it's too early for the book. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll love a book about like Jerry Lopez right. or you know, I, I got the Kong book and it's insane. Right. You know, like Tom Curran, Martin Potter, guys like that are like, you know, if the book was radical enough and in depth, wasn't mm -hmm. just like fluffy, which the Aki thing was pretty much a tell-all. Yeah, yeah. It's like that to me is. It's hard to, to read about a whole person's whole life in 2,500 words. Yeah. It kind of goes back to what you were saying, though, about your relationship with Andy Irons, though, too, where it's like, when do you want to tell all? Right. You know? Do you want to kind of keep some stuff private? I think that that is the crux of it in the surf industry is everybody is friends and you don't want to... Yeah. And you want to remain friends. And I think the, you know, the, the readers and the, the, the fans that get pissed when they you know when you say look that's my friend i don't care to tell you about it it's yeah. like well you're a journalist that's your job it's like well then you know i'd rather not have that job if i have to like be an asshole and like yeah. you know someone someone else can tell those stories you know if it's something that that i'm like that's that's me or i'll talk about you know myself and like shitty things that i do all day yeah yeah but it's like well so we can kind of wrap up with this thought. I think we've got a lot of good content so far, but one point that that leads me to is like with Zozi getting involved, the goal being let's make this super mainstream yeah. and in the end super profitable for everybody involved. Hooray. Um, there's going to be more situations like uh, as it becomes more public, mainstream media gets involved they're going to want expose pieces yep. they're going to want to dig up skeletons in the closet chad wells won't be able to write on facebook i mean that was right, a good right. sign of what's to come probably mm -hmm. you won't be able to say things that you've said here probably you know without jeopardizing your your employment um so i i'm, I'm a fan of the direction it's going like i want to see people make more money and right. i want it to be mainstream but all that stuff is pretty scary at the same time I like that I, I was telling somebody at the beach, I was filming at Huntington this morning and I was commenting to somebody, US Open starting tomorrow, right? Right. Last year, US Open, midweek, two in the afternoon, I'm riding my bike back to my car and I see Dane and his girlfriend walking across the street. And it's like, in a crowd of 200 people crossing PCH, Dane and Courtney, nobody knows who they are. Right. Cruises down, super crowded, packed beach, surfs on north side. There's thousands of cameras directed on south side. Yeah. All filming and shooting the exact same thing. Dane surfing in anonymity on north side in the midst of the biggest competition in the world and yeah. nobody knows. Well, you wouldn't see, you know, Ryan Kaepernick throwing 
passes in the parking lot before no. a 49er game. <laughs> no. And if you did, there'd be cameras flying yeah. in from everywhere to shoot it. Literally, Dane surfing out there by himself in complete anonymity. And I was like, this is a great moment that maybe I could tell my kids about mm-hmm. and they'll laugh at me, you know, because it will be the equivalent to Kobe playing a pickup game at the park or right. something like that. Well, I think with, you know, skateboarding is a perfect example of mainstream growth with uh, managed by skaters and core people. Sure. You know, I think Street League is a great example of you know, a good blend of, you know, the the repetition and simple, you know, simple judging and, and, and just the simplicity of the event. These guys go here, they do, they, they skate this thing, they get scored on this. It's in an, you know, it's, there's a huge audience and it's on NBC and, and it's like, all inclusive. A dad can bring his kids and it's like, right. you know, the dad's like, well, this is cool. The kids are psyching. Um, you know, and those stars are being made, like Ryan Sheckler. Right. You know, if Ryan Sheckler was, you know, out in the street in Huntington, he'd probably get mobbed. Totally. You know, and, and I, I think surfing becoming more mainstream, you know, I, I think it's cool. I think that's the whole thing is we need to get to know these athletes more. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't think they should be afraid to show their personalities. I think in the past, the big thing was... For, for young guys, like, I don't want to really put too much out there because then my friends will make fun of me. Right. You know, my friends will give me shit if I tell everybody that I love to take photos or whatever. I yeah, love yeah, to yeah. paint. Or, or I, I like Vanity Fair. this album. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it was such a, a thing like, you know, but I think the thing that other sports have done so well is, you know, like, I don't, I'm not like a tennis fan. Yeah. But I, you know, the Williams sisters, Federer, you know, you can name these names because they put themselves out there, and you know, you don't. I don't really care to know about their private lives that much, but I like to know, you know, how they are as as people. Of course, it's you know? human interest. Yeah, and so there's no denying that. I just think that surfing has a, a cap on it for how popular it can get because it's coastal. You know, you don't always get good waves. The the thing that just happened with like the Roxy Pro. You know, it, it was the most talked about surf contest in the world, and it didn't even happen. Right. And and the craziest part is the fact that it didn't happen wasn't even, like, a story. No, it wasn't. It was the story was this video where Steph Gilmore looked hot. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, we're all going to die. Yeah. The world's going to fucking explode because Steph Gilmore was looking hot. Right. You know, and it's like, the real story was there's no contest, like... What about Steph and, or what about Sally and Carissa? Like, they're going for a world title, and all anyone can talk about is like Steph Gilmore's ass. Right. Which I love her ass. It's yeah. Great. Yeah, I'm a fan. You know, but I would have liked to maybe seen the contest. Totally. Chris Cote, ladies and gentlemen. want to see and hear a duet of Chris Cote and Kelly Slater singing this Doobie Brothers song, which I know you do, it's amazing, um, come over to surfsplendorpodcast.com. We've got the video there. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. If you did and you'd like to support Surf Splendor, the good news is we are free. The best thing that you can do to support Surf Splendor is just to share this episode with a friend. We're only going to make episodes if people are listening, so let us know you're listening. Share with a friend. Share it on social media. Make sure to tag at Surf Splendor on Instagram and Twitter. You tagging us allows us to track the show's feedback and to see what people are saying so that we can get new show ideas. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes. By clicking the subscribe button, new episodes will automatically be downloaded to your computer every other Monday. This is David Scales for Surf Splendor. Thanks for listening. I'll leave you with this teaser of our next episode. Thanks. Next time on an all-new Surf Splendor. We'll hear what it's like to watch Andy Irons score a perfect 10 on a board that you shaped. And I see him walking on the beach for his heat with a 7-6. And he, and he never rolled this thing. He never he just waxed it up. Ah!
It'll go. <laughs> he paddles out. Got a giant, giant wave on, on the second reef. Roll the thing all the way and just these big turns, you know, on the outside. And then when it dropped into this, the inside reef, he just, just set it up and just got really? funnel all the way through, almost down the gums. And what it was like inventing the nose guard and how it felt receiving that first order. He told us he wanted to place an order for 20,000. And I go, 20, you want $20,000 worth? And he said, no, he wants 20,000 units. And that, 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 um, competed to a $100,000 sale. Oh my God. So that was, that was just one order. That's Eric Arakawa. next time on an all-new episode of Surf Splendor. Subscribe on iTunes or visit surfsplendorpodcast.com. Go so slow.